Hello friends and folks and welcome back to Refresh Rate, Scanline Media's check-in on the things we've been enjoying in media lately. I'm Six Detmark. I'm Jennifer Uncle. I'm Kyrie Page and video games continue. There are no stars left in the sky because they're all dead. That's right. By the time the light reaches. <laughs> um, with that depressing, t- <laughs> that depressing development, uh, there's nothing depressing about video games in 2023. Damn, it's true. It's been a while since we've recorded one of these. Uh, it has. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but gosh, video games, huh? They are in a state. Regrettably. Regrettably. <laughs> uh, Jen, I hear you've been you've been driving, um, but survival has has been pretty much assured. That part wasn't really in question. Well, she's right here, so she has survived. <laughs> yeah, I, I I figured both parts of that equation out. Um, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I've been playing F one twenty three pretty recently. pretty well it's going a lot better than the real life sport i'll say that because uh this season has been the max for Stappen season to the point where like he broke the record for number of consecutive grand prix won in a season he won 12 of them in a row so basically the way most f1 races this year have worked is that like max starts in like anywhere from first to third or fourth or whatever. Sometimes a little back if he has some initial mechanical failures. Um, with Within lap 30 out of 60, he's in first place, and then it just sticks there for the rest of the race. And, uh, How many laps do they do? It's like 50-something? It, it depends on the course, really. Sometimes it's, thir- sometimes it's 50, sometimes it's 60. I've, I've, I think I've seen it even a little bit longer. Wow. All right. Yeah. Point is, like, it's kind of funny because this season has been like you're watching someone play a single-player sports game in some capacity because, like, people who play those all the time, or at least from my experience, they set it to a difficulty, they just get used to the difficulty, and they just keep getting first every single time because it's a fucking video game. And this little shit of a 27 year old keeps winning all the time and it's boring (laughs) max verstappen hater i I guess so yeah at this point (laughs) the seto kaiba of f1 apparently he's still in the puppy stage of his career that's what jackie stewart says any comments oh I have a I have a question, less of a comment. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Why uh-huh, is it called uh-huh. puppy stage? Oh, because it's you know, it's you have you seen those trailers for the new Final Fantasy remake? 
Yes. You know that part where Sephiroth's like, such a puppy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, next question, please. (laughs) (laughs) I was familiar with Silly Season. I was not familiar with Puppy Stage. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I started playing F-123 because I figured racing it myself through a video game would be more fun than just watching someone else play a video game in real life and win all the time. And uh, have you beaten Max? Um, I, I usually beat Max every race I get, yeah. <laughs> oh, so you're the person who gets first every time now. But it's a video game, so it's okay. <laughs> People are not paying $100 to watch me place first in a video game every single Only week. $70 to buy the game. <laughs> Only well, um, I, if you say it's because it's on Game Pass, it's like you're still paying for Game Pass. No, I was saying I waited until it was on sale for like 20 bucks, And that, that was nice. Like, I was like, okay, yeah, that's good. That's a good price to jump in on. And uh, this also happens to be the year where they're doing the second of their story modes. Like, uh, they introduced this. Uh, they introduced this new story called Breaking Point in F1 2021. And they were like, you know, if we want to tell a good story, we probably shouldn't be doing it annually. So we'll just do it every two years. So. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So this year's Breaking Point two and. Uh, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> just as a bit of a just to summarize breaking point one a bit um it focuses on this new upcoming racer named aiden jackson and uh he basically has a lot of problems with his older f1 teammate casper ackerman and it's it's amplified by a character that was actually returning from previous f1 career modes like uh they had tried doing story modes in the past, but it was just first-person perspective and people would just talk to you. And the guy that was always hassling you was this British man named Devon Butler. And uh, he's oh, just... I feel like I've heard of this man. He's basically a grade A shithead, just the way that he talks about things. He loves... He, he just loves getting under people's skin and talking about how... They're holding the team back or, oh, this other person, I don't know. You should hear what the, you should hear what the paddock's saying about you. They think you're a little out of your league here. (laughs) And uh, he just stirs shit. So by the time we get to breaking point two, the, um, the protagonist from the first game, Aiden and his rival Devin are actually on the same team now. And, uh, it's going about as well as you'd expect where they're still like getting into, Headbutting scenarios and stuff like that to the point where, like, early in the 2022 season within this story, um, Aiden has the race pace and is going faster than Devin, but Devin's in front. And as the team radio keeps telling Devin, okay, you need to let him pass, let him pass, he is going faster than you. Devin just refuses, and Aiden has to go around. It gets super angry with that. When Devin's questioned about that, he's told, oh yeah, it. you should check the comms, I didn't hear anything. And people just ascribe that to, oh yeah, it's Devin Butler, he's just being a shit again. But uh, fast forward to the 2023 season. So the way this game does races is interesting, you're never playing a full race. Each chapter, they're giving you a specific objective to complete in the middle of something. Mm. At the start of the season, they switch things up by having you actually take control of Devin instead of Aiden. And uh, you do a pretty good job in the race. And 
generally just do a good job next to Aiden and stuff. And just at the start of the season, Aiden just comes up to Devin and is like, okay, I, I know we've had our issues, but let's try putting that in the past. We're a team now. We want to do well together. And suddenly it switches over to Devin's perspective as the conversation is happening. And you just hear this lack of voice. Like, you just hear this ringing sound. And it's like, oh shit. <laughs> when he said he couldn't hear the comps and he thought it was busted, it wasn't because he was doing it on purpose. The boy just has tinnitus. A very serious case of tinnitus. Oh, boy. And things kind of degrade through the rest of the season until, like, you start getting missions like he's being too hard on his brakes and isn't hearing his crew tell him that. So you start riding in a car that is, like, in the middle of a race, pretty handicapped. And the objective change to, changes to keep as many places as you can as other people are passing you. <laughs> and... The race. How do they do that? Like, I assume I haven't played any of these games. I have played other driving games where they will show you stuff like your tire condition. Does mm -hmm. F one normally do that? Do you normally only get that through your radio, or is that a HUD element they are stripping away for this bit? Um, you usually can find out the information by pressing a button and just looking at something closer. But uh, also, typically within F one races. In real life and in this game, the um, pit crew will be communicating with you over radio to explain things like how you're overheating your brakes and things like that. And you just not, during these segments as Devin, do you not get pit crew stuff or do you get the uh, the tinnitus, like, you know, yeah, like, like sound that you can't make out? Like, is it similar to how in the 3DS version of Metal Gear Solid 3, you know, you lose 3D at a certain point? Yeah, there's basically a specific part of the cutscene. A cutscene basically plays where you just hear the sort of warbly noise and it, the tinnitus is also affecting his ability to see properly just because he's going so out of focus trying to hear things. And uh, it's based after a few moments of that, his hearing returns and they're like, what the hell are you doing? Your brakes are just totally messed up now with how you've treated them and now your car's going to be going slower and uh after that the next race switches to objective finish the race so you know some shit is going to happen and within three laps before you finish suddenly it kicks in again and he just goes straight into the wall and uh yeah, after that, he basically gets checked in on by a doctor and he has to retire. And they're like doing they're presenting all this information in a drive to survive style documentary um, viewpoint whenever things like this happen. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, basically the rival that's been in the F1 games for several years is just now no longer a racer in this stuff. And uh the, t the team has to scramble to find someone else to replace him because uh, it turns out the person who bankrolls the team is Devin's father, uh, Davidoff Butler, and he's not really interested in continuing to do it if his son is not, like, a part of the situation. So he basically gives the team an ultimatum. You finish fifth or better in the Constructors' Championship or I'll go through our contract and I'll just pull out next season. So, uh, 
it's here that they also do something interesting because this game effectively has through the narrative and through real life, basically, um, it, it basically takes an image of a real life, uh, woman driver in F2 that's done pretty well. And is like, what if we had the world's first woman F1 driver? So through these circumstances, and turns out it's also Devin's sister. Um, she ends up getting pushed over to F1. And uh, yeah, it, it's really cool to see her get into the mix as well. Because she is coming off a pretty confident streak in F2. And Aiden isn't feeling too certain about her. So the two of them are kind of tussling. And in the, in the background, <laughs> the managers are just like... If they don't get their shit together, this team isn't going to exist next season. What the hell do we do? That's pretty wild. Is that how it ends? No, no, it's... I, I haven't finished it yet. It's... I'm midway through it, but uh, basically those are the stakes right now. And, like, it's something you would expect to see in a sports movie. Like, all this sounds kind of standard for a sports movie, but... Uh, just seeing it handled in an annual licensed video game, one published by EA Sports, is just absolutely buck wild to see yeah that's pretty crazy um mm -hmm. it sounds it sounds really ambitious and really frankly really fucking cool yeah I, i'm really impressed with what they've done here yeah because like they have tried to do like story modes in like these games before including like were they the ones that did where they contracted spike lee to like write no that was nba yeah it was nba okay all right well, I mean, sports games have had the storied history of trying to write stories for their games uh, for better and for worse. Like, what is it about Breaking Point that really works for you, Jen? I think it's the way that... I think it's the very specific laser focus on driving itself and just, like, the fact that F1 already has a narrative background already, thanks to Netflix's Drive to Survive, and just kind of working some of those elements in there as well as just like, once you understand bits and pieces of how this sport works, how engineers are constantly in the background trying to make cars that go faster than anyone else, or the more common problem, um, the car isn't just... The car just isn't standing up to the competition is shorting out during races and stuff like that. And they just kind of have to scramble to get it put together. Um, there's just a lot of interesting working parts within F1 that I think lend themselves well to a drama. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I like... I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like I have enough context or appreciation. Like I have watched a couple of F one races, and I. I just. I had basically no reaction to them, so I'm afraid I don't think I have enough in me to get something out of this. But it's really cool to see how like genuinely ambitious they're being with this stuff. Yeah, and I'm really happy that Codemasters are continuing to like produce really fascinating racing games even as they're under the ea umbrella right now and you know there's still time to take a letter from spike lee's nba game and have it end with devon coming on stage in all white clothing because he's supposed to be a ghost and reading reading a poem he wrote about how hard his life was okay great <laughs> we're gonna give you million dollars 
I've I've already got 285 because I won the California Powerball, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, as it turns out, just having a stable of dedicated writers rather than get stunt casting famous guest directors or stuff like that really pays off. Who knew? I guess so. Oh, turning from uh, driving to survive, literally speaking, because Devin could have easily died there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a real person, so we don't have to be that worried about that, folks. I realize I phrased that with more gravity than perhaps it does. <laughs> There's a little bit of gravity <laughs> there, yeah. Uh, but I've been uh, d- decking to survive. I've been playing with my Steam Deck, and I don't just mean playing games on my Steam Deck. I've been I've been going into the back end a little bit, right? Yeah. You've been you've been doing some engineering on that thing, haven't you? That's a little generous of you. I appreciate your kindness on that one. Sure. Um, I've been running scripts other people built. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah, so uh, Steam Deck for me is. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, my brain just jumped to the fucking. Uh... <laughs> Haze for me is a religion. <laughs> Steam Deck for me is a religion. Oh, no, sorry. no, sorry, I got it wrong. It's it's okay. <laughs> Consoles for me are 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 a religion, and Steam Deck is the shit. <laughs> oh my god, you've been you've been having you've had it for about a year now. Is that right? Yeah, me and Jen have both had ours for for I think Jen for a little over a year and me for about a year or some I don't know I don't remember the order exactly, but um, my PC is is going to get upgraded soon. We've almost figured this out, but still my Steam Deck is the most powerful machine in this house. I think um, maybe the PS Five is faster. It's kind of hard to tell actually. Um, the way but... games are optimized these days, <laughs> right? Oh boy, <laughs> yeah. And I have, you know, been satisfied to just, to just, you know, play games on it, play games I couldn't play otherwise. This is great, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was like, hang on a minute. What if I did something that would be easier on my PC, but on my Steam Deck for some reason, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so I've gotten into modding and installing some non-Steam software and stuff. Um and to start off with, I have done some modding of Metal Gear Solid V The Phantom Pain. Standing on the edge of the crater, like the prophets once said, and the ashes are all cold now, no more bullets. And the embers are dead Whispers in the air Tell the tales of the brothers gone Desolation, devastation What a mess we made when it all went Watching games that Jen understandably hates, and I hate a lot of parts of it, but I like running around and kidnapping people and telling them they work for me now. Can I share a secret? Uh huh. I've never played Metal Gear Solid Five. Okay. Well, you know what? 
That's uh, let, let me let me lay out what Metal Gear Solid Five is. Metal Gear Solid Five is a prequel to Metal Gear Solid One, but a sequel to uh, Peace Walker, right? And therefore three. Uh, this is a game where you are playing as a man by the name of Big Boss. Uh, he, through his uh, history of exceptional military service and, and some very remarkable solo feats as a, as a genuine one-man army, or at least infiltration unit, has earned the title of Big Boss and uh, is, a, is a legend in the military community. Soldiers are like, uh, whisper his name with some reverence. He has gone through a lot of things, and at this point, he is trying to build up his own army to fight at the Illuminati. Okay. Yes. And so to this end, he is recruiting people. And Metal Gear is a series that alternates between seriousness and, and a, a cartoon logic, often using the cartoon logic to skip past things that would be kind of annoying to take seriously. For example, it'd be very annoying to have to genuinely recruit and train people for your PMC, right? That would be exhausting. Mm -hmm. So instead, you find people in the field and you attach a balloon to them that takes them home. This is based on real technology. The Fulton system is real, but uh, has some issues. Anyway, um, <laughs> you're attaching balloons to people and then they go home and they go in jail. And after they've been in jail for a little while, they're like, actually, I think I want to work for Big Boss. And then they're your friends now. That's how friendship works. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I tied a balloon to you and then just like sent a, sent a plane to pick you up. Uh, and so I have I have done some modding of this game. Um, a lot of it has been stuff to... So the game has some online integration, mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, through the system of forward operating bases. So this is like you have your normal, like you build out your base, mother base, as it's called. Um, you add new, like it's basically an oil, like oil derrick, right? And you can build out, it's not anymore, but that's what it's based on structurally. And you build out extra platforms and those can house more staff and you can get a medical team and you can get an infiltration team and scouting and R&D and all that jazz, right? Mm -hmm. um, and as you're building these out, uh, in the normal version of the game, it's like, hey... Don't you want to, like, some of this stuff that you can develop requires really a lot of staff. Uh, you don't probably have enough staff, like, space for all the staff. Why don't you build some FOBs or forward operating bases? And those you can only access when you're online and will lock up a portion of your currency so you can only access it when you're online. So, for example, if you have a bunch of currency, but it's divvied up just so, and then you lose connection, suddenly you're bankrupt. Oh, crap. Uh, and you start getting penalized for that. Um, yeah, no, you know, not a, not a bad comparison. Uh, also, of course, because all this stuff is online, other people can attack you and steal your shit. Oh, crypto. Oh, crypto. <laughs> 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 it's just, that's the title of the episode. Just, oh, exclamation park. And then crypto exclamation park. <laughs> exclamation park. Jesus Christ. All right. Anyway. I need to lie down. Um, <laughs> but first off, mod that removes all that. Strip that out. Oh, Strip yeah. that out. Offline only game, no FOBs. All the requirements have been lowered so that you can get stuff offline only. Also, remove the timers, because that's another part of it, is once you got later in the tech tree, you're like, let me develop this level 7 shotgun. And they're like, sure. 
it's going to take four hours. Don't turn your console off. That time won't count. Oh. And you're like, okay, so you want me to just what? Like, go to work? What are we doing? Um, so is, turn off those timers. That's pointless. Yeah, this right? isn't like Animal Crossing where it's like, okay, you have to wait. Like, okay, 24 hours is a long time to wait, but you can do other stuff. You can turn off your 3DS and be like, okay, I come back and now a bridge is there. Sounds like here it's right. like, no, you just got to play for four more hours. And I think maybe it was supposed to work with like online timers, but at least for me, it has never worked right. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, another part of it is... Um, Hideo Kojima, creator of the Metal Gear Solid series, is a misogynist, right? Correct. Um, few games make this more clear than the two halves of Metal Gear Solid Five. That is kind of his primary impetus for these games. Not great. Um, but clearly, late in development, someone at that studio, maybe it was him, I don't know, was like, hey, have you noticed how the only people you can recruit are men? We should probably put a couple of women in this game. Um... And because of this, you can record re- recruit a couple of women. And it's like, hey, I don't know. I think it'd be cool to have more ladies around. So I installed some mods to add more of them, right? Mm-hmm. Now, oh, here's boy. the thing, folks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know 100% how this works, but I am making inferences based on uh, decades of playing games and analyzing games critically mm-hmm. and doing a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of modding myself and seeing how code can be weird about things, right? Mm-hmm. It seems like the way Metal Gear Solid Five is coded is that women don't have AI. Uh, okay. Which is to say, well, that is to say, like, you can recruit enemy soldiers, right? You can go Mm -hmm. up and knock them out and and then balloon them away, right? You will never find a female soldier walking around. That will never happen. Actually, it can happen at Mother Base because they just use the same AI for everyone at Mother Base and they will just walk around and salute and say, hey, boss, right? Uh Mm -hmm. Um, But in in the wild, you will never find one. I am assuming that this means they have no AI, and I'm also assuming this because downloading any missions, like like add-on, you know, mods that add missions where you can recruit women, they are never walking around. They are always tied up. They are always prisoners. Hmm. I think a lot about a quote. I forget who said it exactly, but it had to do with um. It was probably who who coded the Sims. Um, was that that wasn't Sid Meier, was it? No, I'm I'm trying to remember the not guy. Sid I Meier. know who you mean. You know, I'm not who... sure. He, I don't know if he coded. Um, Will Wright. It may have been a Will Wright quote in which he talks about this idea that in The Sims, it's like you have to like code in gender into like a computer doesn't know this. Like someone has to like say no. These clothes can only go on women, and these things can only be done by men. So. What I'm saying is, um, you know, coding is done by people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the computers start out with basically nothing, right? And this is especially true because this game runs on the Fox engine. We mm-hmm. all know the Fox engine, of course. No, we don't. This is one of two games to ever ship on it. Is that including the Pachinko games? The Pachinko games, I don't think, run on Fox, do they? They 
they re-rendered the cutscenes in Fox for the Metal Gear Solid 3 Kojima, like Metal Gear Solid 3 Pachinko Machine. Oh, that's what I get for making pithy one-off comments. Okay, well, I guess the number well, isn't then. Well, Pachinko's but, not a real game anyway. It's just... Well, yeah. I mean, the point is, they built the engine themselves. So, any engine limitations are ones they designed also. Mm-hmm. Right? And, yeah, no, um... Women can only exist as prisoners, and, and that's fun because you get missions like... I had one, so I downloaded two different packs that add a bunch of women to, to be recruitable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the first one, I walked into the area for the mission, and it popped up and it said, Quick Waifu Farm. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, We're in danger. Great dramatic timing, really, on the game's part, because at the time, there was a sandstorm going on. There is dynamic weather. It can be prompted by events, but this event did not prompt it. There just happened to be a sandstorm going on, right? And so I couldn't see five feet in front of my face. And so I'm just stumbling forward. Snake is is big boss slash snake is, you know, guarding himself against the, the storm of sand and just arms up like, ugh, stumbling forward. And then I see a woman on the ground. And then I see 11 more women on the ground arranged in an X shape. All tied up, of course. Of course. There are no guards around. It's just an X pile of women. And I'm like, this is really creepy, you guys. <laughs> Why did you do this? Um, and it'll, I'll, I'll, I'll have to ask you at the end what you think is more creepy, this or the other one, right? Um, cause oh. I said, I, you know, I give these people balloons and they're off and they're, they join up great. Cause prisoners, you usually don't have to convince. They are just happy to be free and they're happy to work for you. Right. Happy to be here, like, boss. Uh-huh. Great. Okay. Um, what's the second one? The second one is a mod, uh, called diamond girls. Cause it's, you know, diamond dogs is the name of your group at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. it's like, Oh, the girls of, of girls are diamond dogs the diamond girls. Um, and this one is more of a, the missions are more designed, right? You go to a space and the, uh, the girls are still prisoners, but placed at strategic locations. You have to sort of look around. Sometimes they're guarded. It's sometimes a somewhat interesting challenge, right? There are also multiple missions of this, and like based on the mission description, you're like, oh, okay, these are going to be uh, women that are better at medicine. These are going to be the engineering corps. These are going to be the soldiers. So you can do different missions to get different types of staff. Um, they're all in bikini swimsuits, which is definitely an intentional choice the modder made. Hmm. And like, I don't know. I don't know why you do these things. So, so far, that's been that's been the majority of my my modding career in in Metal Gear Solid Five. I've done a few other little mods, but they've been pretty pretty unnoteworthy. Can we get a vote, by the way, which is creepier, the women X or the the like strategically hidden underwear women? The underwear woman for sure. Like I don't know, the woman X is like <laughs> it's up there. <laughs> well, the X it feels like something that's just done in terms of like it reminds me of those XP farming levels in other video games where they just you you load onto a multiplayer map that's been made by someone else and they just put everything you want to interact with in a pile somewhere. So it's like okay, it's like that. 
Sure. I, I see I see both sides of this argument, you know? I could go either way. Um, and then I've also done some uh, some emulating, and I have also done some emulating to a Metal Gear Solid thing because I'm on a bit of a Metal Gear Solid tear, right? Bit of a bit of a kick there. Uh-huh. Yeah. This one will be relatively quick, but I just think it's really cool and I want to tell people about it. So I was a big fan of Metal Gear Solid uh, portable ops on the PSP. Mm-hmm. That's a really cool game that is the first ever Metal Gear Solid to, to involve kidnapping people to make them fight for you. <laughs> uh, every game Kojima made after that for Metal Gear Solid was just copying this one game that he did not make, that his staff made mostly without him. Right. Um, and so I was like, man, I would love to play that a game. I can, you know, the emulator PPSSPP. Uh, runs PSP games on the Steam Deck, I can do that. And I loaded it up, and I was immediately like, oh. You know, there are some things... When we talk about games having aged poorly, often we're talking about some mechanical choices or some writing choices, right? And this was physiological, because I'm like, oh, right. On PSP, this game ran at 20 frames per second. Oh, dear. I am having trouble doing this in 2023. I know that makes me a spoiled brat. I accept this. But it is just like, ugh, this feels sluggish. I don't like this. It's not, like, authored in the same way that, like, like Majora's Mask runs at, like, 20 frames per second. But, like, they've very clearly you know, coded the animations and such to be like, okay, this is how this like sword will swing in this frame rate in order to make this work. It sounds like for portable ops, it was just like, no, it just runs like shit. Yeah. I mean, it's there. They were stretching the PSP very hard, trying to get basically the metal gear solid three engine running on it. And it just was a big ask, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was like, I don't know if I want to play this like this. I'm surprised it doesn't just run better. A lot of emulators will just run things faster, right? And of course, programming's a motherfucker. It's like, no, this is programmed to run at 20 FPS. You can't just make it run faster, right? Yeah. Um, You can't just tap up the speed or give it a better processor and suddenly it does, right? And then if you were to just force it to run at 20 FPS you are going to have a bunch of weird, like, breaking of how interactions work, and also all the cutscenes and codec calls are going to go to shit. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's unfortunate. Okay. Well, what can you do? 
And then I discovered something interesting. Oh. The modding community and emulation community figured out that they can make it so that the frame rate is 60 frames per second without breaking anything via a series of basically game shark codes. And by a series of game shark codes, I'm talking you copy and paste a list of about 150 game shark codes. <laughs> That just, like, adjust the frame rate in every possible situation, and the end result is a version of Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops that has had no add-ons, has just had some, like, code injection to change how it runs, that runs like a fucking dream. Incredible. It's wild! You might need to teach me how to do that, because I kind of want to play that version. (laughs) Yeah, they've also got it for, for Peace Walker if you decide to do that. Though, frankly, don't play the PSP version of Peace Walker. Yeah, they they put out an HD version of that, so there's no real reason to. And the co- like the controls of the PSP version. Um the PSP has one analog stick. One generously named analog stick. <laughs> yeah, analog, analog, like sliding little thing. I guess really, right? I forget the the A proper term. Uh huh. Um. Well, the real nub is the thing that you have get on the two DS XL with the little rubber oh, like, yeah, thing, like they used yeah. to have in the middle of computers. That little thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, that little nubbin. Little eraser head. Yeah. Um. But Peace Walker is a dual analog shooter, and so your right analog stick you might also know as triangle, square, X, and circle. (laughs) It's bad. (laughs) Damn. I don't recommend doing that. Anyway. But it it sounds like, it sounds like to me that what is good is like all the modding you've been able to do. Like has like the Steam Deck changed your relationship to like modding in general? Because you've done it before on your regular PC. I've done it before, but I think the thing that has really changed is playing games I've played before on other platforms, right? Mm-hmm. And being like, you know, like like Bilbo meme, like, well, after all, why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I mod it? <laughs> <laughs> and like, nice thing is you have... Steam Deck is so popular now that uh, a lot of the communities will just do the hard work for you, and they just continuously think of everything. It, it's how I've been playing Higarashi because like there's this there's a version of the oh seventh mod that just plugs right into Steam Deck and gets you all those features. Like it sounds like there is like a scene for the Steam Deck to like just do really cool and interesting things, and you can do that because like it's unified hardware and it's like, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to mod for. It seems like. Yeah. Plus you hold down the power button and hit a few things and suddenly you're using desktop Linux. And Linux is still its own son of a bitch, mostly for compatibility. I think the way Linux runs mostly makes perfect sense, but a lot of software was built for windows and mm-hmm. you can make it run on linux but it doesn't like it the hardest part of a lot of the like the modding i did for um metal gear solid 5 was convincing it that linux files exist because it was not sure about that <laughs> <laughs> uh 
so like there's often a lot of weird weird stuff but as you say the community is there right like when i wanted to mod uh uh breath of the wild on on that i had running on on steam deck which i had to i had to get my steam deck repaired there was an issue with one of the sticks um and i had to wipe it to do that because like you have to wipe it if you send it in i was like okay fine um, I have a backup, all the stuff I haven't reinstalled, so I haven't done this in a while, but like there was, I was trying to get breath of the wild with mods working on steam deck. And I've talked about it, I think on a previous refresh rate, but basically I spent like days trying to figure out how to do this. And then I figured it out finally. And then at the very end of figuring it out, I found a video that said everything to do on the steam deck <laughs> and it would have taken me like 20 minutes. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> Uh, that's how it goes sometimes that's how it goes you know like when you are doing your homework part of the homework you need to do is on how to study in the first place right yep so but yeah uh i am i'm looking forward to doing more modding i'm looking i have a tab open of uh metal gear solid master collection mods for when we get around to three so that i can put naked snake from Metal Gear Solid 3 in Splinter Cell goggles. That mod exists. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> but uh, in, in other news, though, Kyrie, you've also been sort of diving into some older experiences by way of the new. Yeah, so... Um, for So ever since the Nintendo Switch launched its um, program to do... Um, like the switch online right with mm-hmm. um uh, like with you know older games super nintendo nes and stuff there's always there's been one game that's kind of been like a big blind spot it's like where's super mario rpg turns out the answer was they were remaking it and called it just super mario rpg So, for those who don't know, this is a remake of a, I think, 1997 uh, uh, Super Nintendo game? Something like that? 96. 96. Yeah. I was off by a year. Not not that far off. Um, called Legend of the Seven Stars. It is the first uh, time in which Mario was in a RPG context. This is... You know, it's turn-based battles and things like that, but it had some interesting stuff in there, including characters that had never been seen before and hadn't been seen since, um, and had a wacky story about stars and wishes and um, beating up on the Smithy gang who kicked Bowser out of his own castle, and now Bowser's hanging out with you, uh, saying haikus and stuff. Um, it got remade and released this year, and I have been playing that remake, and I have a lot of fondness for that original Super Nintendo uh, game. And it has been really interesting to play this remake 
and just kind of see like the decisions that they made, like kind of the contrasting decisions between what they decided to do on the Super Nintendo back in the day in 96 versus what they do and can do in 2023. Mm-hmm. So uh, let me pull up my list here. Also, while you're doing that, worth mentioning that uh, this remake was done by a company named Art Piazza, who are mainly known for like doing assist work with things like uh, various Dragon Quest games. But they've also done several of the Dragon the several of the Dragon Quest remakes for DS and PS2, as well as like the 2D mode you could toggle in Dragon Quest Eleven. Um, so a couple of things have been added to this game. Um, one, they have rewritten the script, which I find it to be both a, like, it's, it's a, it's a weird thing, um, to rewrite the script because I remember the script of the original game being quite good. Um, have you heard of a man named Ted Wolseley? I was about to ask if this was a Wolseley. This was a Wolseley, yeah. He uh, translated this one, and it gave the game this particular character to it because, like, Bowser's a really good example because the way he writes Bowser is basically this big, pathetic, like, wet dog of, like, a person. (laughs) (laughs) It is so funny how it's just, like, just, like, the little things that he would say in order to like he is convincing himself it's like no mario is joining my crew so i could get back my keep okay great and he just puts a hand on like uh, like mario's shoulder it goes okay buddy i'm gonna let you into the bowser minions so that we can get this done (laughs) and one of the like first like my one of my first encounters with like a meta mechanics joke as you get the prompt you joined bowser's party (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny. Oh, so now, they have retained a lot of the like original translation in this new version, but like just every now and again, I, I I can't even really quantify it. I feel like the edges have been sanded off of some of the like like there's a certain scrappiness to like the way it was translated uh back in the day. And that's like really hard to quantify, I realize, but like it's one of like one of my things about this game is like the original game on Super Nintendo is actually a pretty easy like RPG all told like they give you a lot of like advantages in your favor you can beat it basically in a dedicated afternoon and that's i think part of why it's such an appealing game is like mm-hmm. oh yeah i could just beat this game in like a day or two and just have a grand old time running around as with Mario and Gino and mallow and just just have a ball um but like it's little things it's just like little things are getting to me like they're no longer called timed hits they're called action commands and it's like no toad toad at one point turns to a goomba and goes you better watch out he knows about timed hits <laughs> it's like like there's a goofiness there um mm-hmm. that is sort of like it's it's not lost, it's just not quite as present. Um, go ahead, Jen. The one visual thing that kind of bugged me when I was watching you play it, and otherwise, like, it is a incredibly gorgeous uh, visual remake of everything that's happening, is, like, 
they're using the goddamn default Mario font again. Like the font they they use for all the latest Mario sports titles and Mario Odyssey, all of that. And it's just a very lifeless font to me. Yeah, I, I was actually gonna bring that up, is that like the like they've taken out some of the stuff that like gives the game its like scrappiness, right? Like for example, I'm gonna send some pictures. Um here is how the battles look like in the original game. Um, for the viewers at home, or listeners, I guess, uh, you know, you have, like, heads of, like, each of your party members standing there, and it represents their current status, and there is, like, you, there's a lot of rounded edges, right? But, like, it's a very interesting interface that it corresponds each attack to each different, each button. Um, and it's very cool. And in the remake, they they sanded a lot of this stuff out. Like, mm. it's it's very clean. It's very readable for your, you know, you're playing this on your big 4K TV, right? But, like, at the same time, it's like, you know, it's, it's like, you still see the character portraits, but they're just kind of standing there. They don't really blink or anything. Like, the characters animate, like, they do have idle animations, like, during the battles. Um, but, like, there's, like, a certain character that's just kind of lost. Because, like, the portraits would, like, you know, you know like, blink. They would nod their heads, bob up and down, things like that. Um, and this remake kind of does away with that in a way that I don't love. Um, also, they fucked with my muscle memory. <laughs> to a certain degree um so okay again it's just little changes that bother me that's kind of like the story of this game in some ways like a game mm -hmm. that i'm super positive on ultimately but like okay so in original mario rpg to select say mario's fireball attack you would hit the y button and then you would hit the y button again after you've selected your attack and then you use the y button for the timed hit and it's like okay my specials are on Y. You get that very quickly. In Remake, you hit Y to bring up the special menu, then you hit A to confirm, and then you go back to hitting Y when you're doing the timed hit. What? It's so... It's... you. It, that sounds like such a minor nitpick in like the world, but it seriously fucks with my muscle memory every single time because I might be in the special menu and might think, oh, I want to switch to a regular attack instead. But if you do that, you accidentally pick your special attack. It's like, I just want to do my regular attack because it changes the menu. <laughs> and it's like, you have to hit the corresponding button to bring up the corresponding menu, and then you hit A, the select option in the menu, and it's like, just keep the button the same. Just, it has no option in the settings to change it to, to how it used to work? Far as I can tell, no. Hmm. I haven't That's explored that, but like it is really annoying to be like, I will hit X on the like control like the Nintendo like um ABXY have been in the same spot for over 20 years, but it is really frustrating to like want to use an item in a battle. I would hit X and then I keep hitting X and nothing happens because I have to remind myself, oh right. They make me select with A now. Like, yeah. this was the same thing that kept me from playing Kirby Superstar Deluxe on DS is because they changed the attack button from Y to A. Mm. And, and like, 
I understand, like, so the, the universal confirm button thinking, mm-hmm. right? But I think this isn't just a muscle memory is tripping you up. I think it's a stupider way to do this because the fact that you have to then, it's not that you hit a button to pick a menu and then it's A from then on. You go back to that menu for the timed hit, which is the part that makes it stupid. Right. I mean, you can also do the timed hit with the A button, but again, my muscle memory is like, no, I do the attack with the Y button or you can use other face buttons for the timed hits. Um, there is a, uh, speedrunner that, um, runs this game named, uh, Pidge01, who she has a technique when she does her 100 super jumps. Uh, she says she does rotations in which she goes, like, to Y to X to A to B and tells people to never do that because that's stupid. It was just the way she learned to do it as a kid. Um, but yeah, there's a couple other, like small changes that I find a little frustrating, like, and this isn't, like, so, in the original game, like, cutscenes mostly played out with, like, different sprites, like, moving about, and there was a snappiness to the animation that is kind of lost by switching to 3D models, like, one of the ways Mario communicates in this game is by his sprite changing to another character and animating as that character, and with how this game is coded, like, it takes a second for, like, the model to, like, load in. Uh. Which is, like, it loses some of the life and energy of just, like, Mario running back and forth, pretending to be Peach, and then pretending to be Bowser, then back to being himself, and then pretending to be a sword's falling from the sky, you know? Uh-huh. But yeah, it's... in in the FMV cutscenes that they do to, like... Whenever a new character gets added to your party, you get this, like, really nice-looking FMV, to which, like, sometimes they work really well. Like, I actually really like the Geno introduction cutscene. Um, but, again, I also am... And maybe this is just my age showing, like, I'm preferential to, like, seeing the sprite, like, kind of walk around and bump his head against things and then walk out the door rather than seeing this, like, really gorgeously rendered FMV. But that's just that I admit is a taste thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a strange game um, because it, it inspired you know obviously the Mario and Luigi series of RPGs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also of course Paper Mario and that whole line. Um, and going back to the beginning, I feel like anyone who isn't coming at this from pure nostalgia, which is going to be a lot of people I know. Um, but anyone who is who's coming at this without just pure nostalgia is going to find that it has a bunch of weird, like, I don't think it, f- like, co- like, the different elements cohere as naturally as you might think. Like, once you start getting characters like Mallow and Gino, I don't dislike those characters, but they do not feel like Mario characters, no, right? No, they, like, they make a little bit more, you know sense from like the pedigree of like rpgs that square was making at the time Mm -hmm. um because like you could totally see a dragon quest like companion be like a living doll right well at that point that was that was still just enix they weren't around as part of square yet yeah you know you're right um but you could see for example like mallow as a recruitable character in one of the mana games yes yeah and 
and thus like they just kind of like there's this weird clash and sometimes part of that aesthetic clash really worked in that original game because there was like this is Mario at like a completely different camera angle that you've ever seen Mario before and he's interacting with all these weird characters like like you know actual ass weapons being brought to life you know and they're mm -hmm. goofy but it's like oh here's this giant claymore here's this bow and arrow here's this spear that has been brought to life and they look like they just look like you know guys that don't fit into the mario like aesthetic which is great because it's just sort of like that intentional clash like works within its art style in the original game but with how the invasion of the otherworldly yeah yeah but in this game like with everything so cleaned up it's like even the bosses have been cleaned up to a certain degree it's like no bower is supposed to look like a weird fucked up dude you know who is uh -huh. like launching arrows at this like town um Johnny is this like really pissed off shark man that you like encounter and it's like it's weird and he is even part of the otherworldly force he's just like there in the world you know that uh -huh. implication that like many of the sunken ships that Mario has explored before Johnny has been in one of them just kind of stewing but I'm still like I'm still enjoying it a lot like maybe the, a lot of it has to do with like nostalgia for that original game, but like it still feels good to do a timed hit though. Let's be real. Like the sound effect, like you mean an action command? No, I don't. I don't. The timed hits to me. Damn it. <sighs> the range soundtrack fucking rocks though. Oh yeah. Yoko Shimomura fucking knocked it out of the park. Like every single time she knocks it out of the park and she, she did it again. She took these 20 year old songs and turned them into like rearranged them and they sound amazing. Um, I could do without the triple attacks though, uh, to a certain degree, because it's like, that just, it feels like that feels like so vestigial as like an add on because what they have added into this game that wasn't in the original is this gauge that you see on the left-hand side of the screen that builds up to 100% and you can unleash a super attack. Um, and it carries from battle to battle. So realistically, what this means is you either have this big glowing thing on your interface because the battles are already pretty easy. So there's no real point in using the gauge on like regular enemy attacks. And then you trivialize the boss battles by doing like 300 damage right at the jump. Mm. Um, granted, there are boss refights. I haven't encountered that yet. And I can imagine like, okay, if I'm looking for a challenge, I can challenge like Kulix or fight, you know, many of the refights, which have said to have been like, oh, they're much tougher than they used to be. It's like that I might explore because I would like to have a little bit of friction back into this game. Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a you know a beloved classic that I, I don't think like people talk about like oh it's just been missing for decades. It's like I mean they put it on the SNES Classic. I mean it's been a it's not been like a complete ghost. That's how I played but, it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I do think it is it is overall kind of like treated like a forgotten game to a certain extent, and I do think a lot of that is just people who want Gino and Smash. 
Yeah. Um, I saw I saw a tweet at one point of someone who made a mock-up of a Geno Amiibo. It just said, like, they should only make a hundred of them and put it in, like, different Best Buys across the country to make, like, basically um, 30-year-old, like, something awful posters and trans women lose their mind. Wait. Is it Geno? Because of Japanese? How's it how's it in Katakana? I can't find it. I'm looking. I can't find it. Hmm. I've always thought it was Gino. I've I mean everyone always says Gino, but we're all dumb Americans who were like two years old when this game came out. I was older than two, but it's like it- No, okay. It is it is it is Gino in the Katakana. Okay. Oh thank oh. God. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it's not gonna be another Kachi versus Kate Sith situation. I mean that one was Fully like people just not knowing. Anyway, it doesn't anyway, matter. Doesn't really matter. You're gonna you're you're gonna get the you're gonna get the fucking the tweet right. In our game, it is pronounced Geno. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh. Uh. Anyway. Anyway, but um, that's been my experience with it. Um, it has. It's it's still like I think a really enjoyable thing. I'm really glad that I am playing it. I'm having a good time. It you know get to see Mario and his friends dance around when they do the uh, like during the level up screen. Like that's cute. Like yeah, there's a lot of cute stuff in there. It's just like it's just like the devil's really in the details in a well, lot of this I, stuff. And it's such a beloved game that even minor changes are going to be something that people are are very critical in, t- in terms of like a critical eye right they not necessarily negative but certainly paying a lot of attention and being like is this really worth doing and sometimes the answer is no yeah mm-hmm. they dropped the bruce lee line which is quite funny <laughs> to think about <laughs> because it's just a moment in that game where mario is about to punch mower and <laughs> mallow goes well, who do you think you are bruce lee and that's the only that has so many wild implications for the Mario universe that is uncommented upon. That's kind of what I mean by like the scrappiness of that translation, you know? You would have also had to have someone being like, no, Mario's still alive. <laughs> God. Wait, no, Br- you know, Bruce Lee is dead. I, was th- I, I for a momentarily got conflated with uh, with with Jet Li, and I was like, Jet Li is still alive. Bruce Lee is dead. What if they yeah. up- they should have updated it. They should have been <laughs> Jet Li. Yeah, <laughs> or or like whoever who's like the big action star du jour. Right Who do now? you think you are, Keanu Reeves? I was, was literally like, what a just weird pull. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to suggest the same thing. <laughs> you would love it. Yeah. Um, but speaking of things coming back, though, real quick. Yeah, no, I think I think a lot of this podcast has been about you know, like reexamining and trying to sort of to not just reexamining, but also like updating in some way old, old games for for you know the modern times. And then there's also Jen and her game who didn't match the theme at all. Um, <laughs> but recently. Valve has put out the 25th anniversary update for Half-Life 1.
original Half-Life. The original Half-Life. They've done a bunch of stuff. They made it work on Steam Deck. They've updated a bunch of graphical stuff to, like, not... To make it look right, not to make it look new. Mm-hmm. Um, which is... I, I appreciate that approach. Yeah, it's not... It's not like the Black Mesa Reloaded or whatever that fan project was called that was eventually rolled in. Like, that was like, no, we want to make it with modern graphics and stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. no, this is how the game looked like 25 years ago, just, like, running a little more optimally. Yeah, um, and they've added, like, they've added a couple of new multiplayer maps they built just for fun, I guess. And they added uh, Half-Life Uplink, which is a tiny little campaign that they had as a, a demo for, like, computer gaming magazines on a CD. Yeah, apparently also it was a bundle for, like, people who bought sound cards. <laughs> sure, sure, that checks out. Um, very, very cool to have it, have it back and have this update. And I guess, like, you know, what are, like, looking at, looking at the things they've done and sort of what, like, both what this means for Half-Life and also for this bizarre little fucking studio in, in Washington, Valve, I guess, you know, what, what do folks think about it? I kind of wanted there to be a TF2 update, but we kind of talked about that. <laughs> we talked like, about that off the air. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, you know, I think that's part of the conversation, right? Which is like, the, Valve is very much a whim-based studio in a lot of, like, certainly as a studio, right? As a mm-hmm. business, like, thanks to thanks to Steam, there is still some some whim in it, but I think they, they are more prone to making business decisions, right, with right. Steam. And also, it's been well, like, the Steam Deck is actually an interesting point of order because, like, when it was first coming out, I remember, like, talking with Jen about this, of, like, are you sure you want to get this? Because Valve kind of has a history of making hardware and then just not supporting it whatsoever because it didn't sell enough or something. Like, Mm -hmm. you know... you know, hello to, you know, your Steam links that you've probably been using as, like, a, you know, coaster for the past, like, I don't know how many years. hmm Yeah, like, yeah. the key thing with Steam Deck is they finally found something that keeps Valve themselves super interested and engaged in it, because... <laughs> the re- So, Valve has a quote-unquote flat structure which is not exactly as flat as they claim but uh the way it often works is that people just move their desks around to projects that interest them and if a project isn't interesting to them it just doesn't get worked on even if it's kind of necessary the thing is steam deck it's a device that like can do so much and they're just everyone at valve i feel like has a Steam Deck and just enjoys playing things on it. So, like, whenever the, a new game is coming out, like, the recent Elden Ring got uh, immediately patched on Valve's end to work well on Steam Deck was because they had Steam Decks and they wanted to play Elden Ring on it. <laughs> and that's why you get weird shit where, like, in the first, like, week of getting my Steam Deck, I was like... it. it this is one of those things that I think all of us get sometimes, but it also always seems psychotic to the outside, where you get the deranged, like, I want to play this one particular game that mm-hmm. no one else wants to play, right? Where you're like, I want to play Batman Arkham Origins on my Steam Deck was mine, right? Like, the the Arkham game that no one cares about, but they should, because it's better than 
most of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I was like, I want to play this on my Steam Deck. And I would I pull up the website that is like tracking like database updates, like you know backend updates to make something run better on Steam Deck. And it's like, holy shit, some psycho at Valve is doing like daily new builds for this game to make it run on Steam Deck because they also are a deranged person who randomly wants to play this game in 2022. And thank God for that employee. <laughs> like, truly, God bless. God bless. But also, that that just, like, that feels like a... That can be, like, a frustrating way to, like, have to, like... The fact that, like, Valve is such a whim-based, like, company is frustrating to deal with because you have projects like I said, like TF2 hasn't had a meaningful developer update in years in a long time, despite that game having to this day, like still to this day, like millions of players. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and I, I think it's, you know, I'm glad that they are, they care about like, Steam Deck, and I'm glad they actually care about Half-Life 1, because for a while that game was also kind of abandoned. Um, and like, you know, anniversaries are a good excuse to like revitalize this stuff, because Half-Life 1 is a fascinating game. I don't know if it's like, good, but it's like, it's a fascinating it's game. It's good? Mm-hmm. It's good. Some parts of it may have aged, right? I think that's that's fair to say, but I think Half-Life is still a good game. Yeah, and like, they, alongside this, put out um, an hour-long documentary done by uh, Danny Dwyer's newest company, uh, Secret Tape, and uh, it's really interesting just hearing the original team back together talking about how all these little things came to be, like... Uh, you know those little bug grenades you can throw that kind of chase people down and blow up and stuff? Mm-hmm. When you're holding one, there's a little animation where Gordon will start putting his index finger near it, and it kind of just lashes out of it. And uh, the animator was like, yeah, that's because I did that with my cat all the time, and they would just <laughs> freak out when I put my finger near them. <laughs> also, oh. the exploding soup um, in the first level where you just mess with the microwave and you make whatever they're microwaving explode. That was based on real repeated experiences in the Valve office because people kept trying to microwave soup and it always went wrong. Microwaving soup is tricky. You have it to be really, careful. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's but like... And and that kind of like lightheartedness, even from the start of the studio, is part of what lets them make such special things when they choose to make things. But like even this, like, you know, Kyria, you were saying like it's it's a bummer we're not getting any TF two updates really, and we're you know we're getting some updates, we're getting some new maps that were created by fans that they've decided to incorporate right, and some bug fixes, but like no real new Valve made content. It also extends to, like, when you see something be incomplete, you don't know if it's ever going to get complete, right? Like, even this 25th anniversary, it's like, great, now you can play this updated version of Half-Life, and it works for opposing forces, and it works for Blue Shift. That's great. Uh, Hey, what about Half-Life Decay? Oh, the one for the PS2? Yeah, the, the, like, the The co-op campaign. Uh, there's a fan mod that you can play that on PC. Any gonna any attempt to make some official support for that? No, no nothing. No, okay, no. okay. 
And I mean, maybe there's some weird, like, write stuff with it, but frankly, I doubt it because it was made by the same studio and team that made Opposing Force, and they have the rights to that. They could have worked it out. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's a maybe it's a dumb thing to care about. Like, I've played some Decay. It's okay, right? It's not that great. But I had, like, I had an okay time playing that with my brother back in the day because I had the PS2 yeah. copy of Half-Life. But it is like, I don't know, like, you can't, like, it is cool that Valve sometimes shows up and does this stuff. But you can't count on them. And that's the part that's really, a, a, like, the biggest bummer to me about Valve is, like, sometimes Valve does great things. Sometimes Valve does shitty things. The one thing you can't do is trust them. Yeah. Even even with, like, the announcement of the, like, I almost said Switch OLED, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, pro- you know, they have the Steam Deck OLED model that is coming out. And that is, like, a year, like, two... Like, it sounds like almost like two years at this point that Steam Deck has been out collectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, that was the first time in which I thought, oh, okay, Steam actually gives a shit about this thing. Because it's right. like, you know, they'll release some hardware, even hardware, like, they'll release hardware or a game or something that does even pretty well, right? And then just nothing happens. And mm-hmm. I, that was like my worry with like the Steam Deck to a certain degree was like, like yeah okay you know we'll see if they abandon this after like six months and i'm glad they haven't yeah i i think one of the big reasons why they haven't abandoned it other than just like they're using it all the time and it's a good driver for sales is that like they created an entire product market with this like there had been handheld pcs before but none of them were serious competitors or like serious ways a lot of people are playing pc games until steam deck come along came along and now like you have asus making one that you could just straight up walk into a best buy and get you have all these other companies like lenovo jumping in like it's a serious market now but also, it's a, it's like a serious market that doesn't matter except for them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I read a review for the Asus ROG Ally, right? Which also is all there for all you queers out there. <laughs> Thanks, Ally. Finally, um, <laughs> finally. I feel, I feel, this major corporation, I finally feel seen. But it was like, it was a review by a major site. I don't remember, because it's been a while which one but it was a review from a major site where they were like at the top they're like hey i'm gonna review this thing i'm gonna talk about it the thing is it doesn't fucking matter if this is better than the steam deck it's not the fucking steam deck it's not gonna have the support the steam deck gets and that's what makes the steam deck great and that's a wild thing to be able to say about a valve product and i think it won't like i do trust for the reasons that you've said about like both it's 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 user base and also like the number of people at Valve who seem to genuinely like theirs and want to make keep supporting it. I am confident the Steam Deck will continue to get support. It's bizarre that there is a thing that Valve makes where you're like, man, the thing that makes this better than everyone else is how much support it gets. It, it's also like, at the end of the recent Half-Life documentary, uh, there's a bit where it, it closes on Gabe Newell, uh, basically talking about how while he appreciates the way that people look back on 
their games and stuff like that. He never sees it as like a glory day or anything like that. He sees every Valve accomplishment as a milestone to the next thing. And with him talking about the next thing, all I could think was, what is the next thing for Valve? Like, Half-Life only got a sequel in the past two years, and it was a VR exclusive that uh, not a lot of people have equipment to play. And uh, you just see them go into weird situations like, I guess Counter-Strike 2 is being counted as a new game, even though it just kind of overwrote Global Offensive the same way Overwatch 2 overwrote uh, Overwatch. Well, more so because Overwatch 2 wasn't like a wasn't a replacement of the EXE. It was just like, hey, stop playing Overwatch 1. It doesn't work anymore. Play Overwatch 2. This is like it is it is at a certain point in patching a game, you tell everyone it's a new game. Mm-hmm. And like I I get like I don't mean to say that in a way that is like accusatory, right? Because I do think like the amount of work they've done to Counter-Strike is staggering. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's enough work that at some point it is worthy of being a sequel, but it's very strange as you're saying, Jen, to have this moment where you're like it's a new game now. And that uh, uh is it? Is it? Uh, it's like it's oh. like if you, you know, if for 2024 the MLB came out and was like, you know, we've done so much work on the rules of baseball over the years. This year, it's baseball too. Like, what are you talking about? And you can no longer play baseball one. <laughs> <laughs> and also keeping up with the tradition that Valve doesn't know how to count the three. Look forward to the Steam Deck two being the last Steam Deck thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. It's a company that's still in a really weird place. Like, even as... For 25 years. <laughs> well, uh, I'd say that in the in the early to mid-2000s, like, even to 2008 or so, like, they were, they were still operating as a semi-normal company who also happened to own the big PC store. I, I think the moment... Crazy. I think the moment they started Steam they became weird and the the like the level of weird but like do you remember playing half-life 2 on steam when it first came out did you have that experience or anything source engine where it was like oh hang on let me like and this is not going to sound it'll still sound weird it won't sound as weird but you're like oh i'm playing half-life source i'm playing the source version of your original game uh, I have opened this door, and we cut to a black screen while you ping a server to give you what the new level is for a single-player game? What are we doing? <laughs> I didn't have that experience. I just thought about how, like, the first thing I bought on Steam was the orange box. And that, I think, that was the point in which, like, a lot of people started sitting up and paying attention to, like, Steam as, like, a thing. Mm-hmm. Um... Because, like, that was, you know, for a while it was just, like, a place to play Valve games, you know. But, and those were Valve games, to be clear, but, like, that combination of TF2 Portal and, like, Half-Life 2 Episode 1. Episode 2, actually. Episode no, the 2. The better one. The better one, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, 
the orange box is going to be like, I do think with the Steam Deck, they are possibly hitting those kinds of heights again of like their influence and, and like them just doing good shit. But like, I don't know if we will ever again get a moment as big as one of the biggest studios releasing in one box three AAA games at once. Mm-hmm. It's fucking wild. <laughs> yeah, and and like the the price even when it was new was just a fucking steal. <laughs> it was it was crazy. I mean, like it it definitely changed the course of 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 my my gaming career is a dumb word to use in this context but i don't have a better one right Mm -hmm. like it just it shifted a lot of things about how i play games and what i like because they were able to ship this massive thing and make it such a deal and just sort of like in in one day in one day they put out this thing that shifted the industry and that is the kind of thing that valve can do at the, these days on Steam, Windows is the most used OS. The second most used OS is Steam OS from the Steam Deck. It's higher than than like Mac. It's higher than you know normal Linux. Yeah, they they basically own the PC gaming market in several factors. Like uh, Epic Games have been doing their damnedest to break in. Like they give out free games every week often like bona fide classics or sometimes even brand new releases and uh they're still losing money on it every year yeah the only thing that even keeps like for a lot of people the only thing that keeps the epic store installed is because that's how you play fortnite it's like yeah whereas steam is just sort of like oh yeah Here's the entirety of my PC gaming library. Yeah. And a lot of surprisingly good services around it. It's like they have a, excuse me, they have a pretty good uh, screenshotting service, though. I will tell you, it does not like non-Steam games. It is hard to get my portable op screenshots <laughs> to work. And it, <laughs> for like, some reason, it stopped counting beyond 30 for me. Like, uh, screenshots huh. will still save, but every time I look at the game in my library, it says you have 30 screenshots. And I'm like, I know I have like a hundred. <laughs> Weird. There's just, no service is built for how psychotic you are about screenshots, my friend. Um, <laughs> or, or like for a long time, the steam like chat service was a fucking joke. Like, and not like just, it was that bad. Genuinely. It was a joke. It was a punchline. And like, it's really good. Now there are people who I keep in contact exclusively through steam chat. Yeah, they they even put, like, a version of, like, I think within 2023 or 2022, they added Remote Play Together, which is basically taking the same sort of stuff fighting game fans use to play fighting games remotely and just installed it as part of the basic Steam product. That was start of the pandemic, my friend. They saw where things were going, and that was when they had that ready. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild because suddenly all these games that, like, only built local co-op or local multiplayer, you can just play them with anyone now. Yeah. In conclusion, when Team Fortress 2's 25th anniversary comes around, 
they still won't do anything. It's Team Fortress 2. They're not going to help you. They won't <sighs> Damn it. No, thanks. <laughs> Damn it. No, I had a second level with a baby seal. I guess it's not a baby seal. That's just a very, very large seal. Here comes the boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode of Refresh Rate and our, our check-in on, on the media landscape. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll be back eventually with more. <laughs> we put out podcasts every week. We put out three to five podcasts every week. Refresh Rate is a little more inconsistent because... Let's face it, putting this on a regular schedule would force us to, like, churn out things in a way that wasn't interesting, right? We want to talk right. when we have things to say. Indeed. Uh, but until next time, folks, we're, we're, we're going to dip for now. Uh, Kyrie, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on co-host at Kyrie Page. Just first name, last name. That's where you'll find me. I'm still... And Twitter, right? If you still want to find me on Twitter, I guess you can find me at Kyrie A page, but I prefer to like post on co's nowadays. Um, yeah, Twitter is kind of a hot mess. Still continues to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the decay continues, and yet it's still not stopping very many people. Mm -hmm. uh, Jen, what about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JBU3. I'm on co-host at uh, Jen hyphen and hyphen Aster. And I'm on Blue Sky as Spooky Cute Witch. If you want to find me, I am on Twitter and co-host at Sixdetmar, S-I-X-D-E-T-T-M-A-R. My DMs are open if you have any questions, comments, or anything you want to get a hold of me or anything else for site business. And that site, of course is scanlinemedia.com or for our patreon patreon.com scanlinemedia we have a number of patreon exclusive shows over there you should check out until next time folks peace out see ya later <laughs> <laughs>